So if you were here for D2, yeah, D2 got is uh, canceled tonight, so Jason uh, couldn't make it, and we didn't have a backup. So, so we are, uh, I think that's the case. That was the case a few minutes ago. So if you're in here from D2, glad that you're here with us tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about, I titled this War and Peace. It's really just a refresher of uh, some things that I talked about. I, I uh, was looking back on some notes I had, so I'm going to I'm just kind of refresh some of the things that I taught uh, in 2014 uh, in what was called the Code Red series. How many of you were here for the Code Red Bible study? I just, so there's three of you. And so I'm just going to uh, use some of that. Uh, now, I don't remember everything from back then, so I'm sure you don't either. And, uh, but back then, uh, you know, what was going Let me ask you all. So this is interactive. Uh, what was going on in uh, 2014? Yeah, Russia took over Crimea. And uh, so what we're kind of, it was kind of like what we're, we're going through today. I was particularly exercised about that situation, not because of Crimea as much as, uh, as Georgia. I was so angry that the Bushes, uh, the, the Bushes, that George Bush uh, allowed Crimea, you know, to be taken over. We didn't do anything. So really what you see in Russia now is, or in Ukraine is exactly what we did with uh, uh, Georgia. How many of you remember that? Let me just kind of, so some of you remember Georgia. Okay, Georgia to me was a big deal. They were totally uh, synced with us and it did the same type of thing. Old Putin came out and said, hey, you know, uh, we're going to protect our citizens in, in uh, Georgia. And so they rolled in. It was like Blitzkrieg. It was over, you know, I think a week maybe. And uh, it was kind of like America's not going to come to our aid. Of course, there was no NATO and there was no Europe next to Georgia. And so uh, everybody decided it was in their best interest just to lay off and uh, let, let Russia have the northern section of uh, Georgia, and uh, and so they lost it, just like that. And it, and then that, of course, emboldened Putin to go into Crimea. And Crimea, if you don't know, is a peninsula that juts out off of Ukraine into the Black Sea, a very important strategic location uh, for the Ruskies. So, uh, and then, of course, that situation... Uh, um, the, ten, the, the situation in, in uh, Ukraine has been tense uh, since 2014. There was, uh, which very little news that I know about uh, was recorded there. But in addition to all the political intrigue that you've seen through all the impeachment trials and all of that junk, in 2014, uh, there was a, in the winter of 2014, there was a populist uprising. Kind of reminds you of what happened in Romania in 94 uh, when Ceausescu um, you know, they were trying to get him out, <clears throat> and that was certainly kind of rigged. But as it ended up, they had an actual accidental per- people revolution. And, uh, and that's kind of what happened in 2014. Uh, the guy that was running, and his name's escaping me right now, but the guy that was running Ukraine was a, a Putin puppet. And, um, and uh, he made all kinds of motions that, that Ukraine would be part of the EU, which to a Ukrainian would... <laughs> signal, you know, Western kind of uh, Western style um, affluence, you know, and uh, sort of like, um, you know, all the all the EU nations are doing much better than those in the. Fo- they don't want to be like Belarus. They want to be like Hungary, right? So uh, everyone was excited about that, but the guy was just doing lip service, and when it came right down to it, he was going to do whatever Putin told him, 
And as it ended up, he just basically let everybody on. And they had a they had a several month long peaceful protest that ended up becoming not so peaceful, and uh, ended up getting that guy ousted. And they had to turn over the government back then, which led to the current. It was the beginning of where we got to to today, which is with this Zelensky fella, uh, because the people are very much uh, uh, wanting to be free from from Putin. So there's all that political stuff that's going on. Um, and what does that got to do with the Bible? Well, that's ultimately what I'm interested in. So, uh, to, so that was Code Red 1. So this is what I'm calling the Code Red 2, uh, War and Peace. Now, the one, things I want you to kind of focus on that I want to focus on is Russia, of course, and Ukraine, which is hot in the news. But also what's not as, uh, you know, front and center is what's going on with Persia and uh, prophecy. What is Persia? Does anybody, where is Persia? Who knows? Iran. Very good. So... Got to get our definition. Persia is Iran. I use the word Persia because if you if you get on your Bible program and you try to search for Iran, you're not going to find it. But if you get on there and search for Persia, you will find it, and you're going to find it prominent in prophecy. And so there's a lot that's going on, even this last week with Persia, that many people probably uh, don't know about, and that's important. And so we'll be talking about that as we progress as well. So if you have your Bibles, let's start with some scripture. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 28. Proverbs 22 and verse 28. And if you're joining us online, uh, feel free to enter in the comment box uh, any questions you have or what have you as we go. And Ray and Ron are ready to, uh, you know, respond to those questions. And of course, in-house here, raise your hand and uh, I will bring you the mic because there could be things that need to be uh you know, stopped or questions that I won't be able to answer that at least you can ask, and maybe I can get back to them next week. So, um, so Proverbs chapter 22 is a, is a verse that many, maybe you've heard uh, before. It's a really good one. I'm trying to get there. Psalms, Proverbs, there we go. Proverbs 22 and verse 28. Uh, the Bible here says, <clears throat> Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set, uh, and uh, that's a really good principle when you're looking at things that are going on today is go back and look at uh, a landmark, ancient landmarks. You know, a lot of times an ancient landmark is related to boundaries. In the Old Testament, of course, there were landmarks that were related to uh, covenants. God would have them uh, put um, like in the, in the middle of the, of the Jordan River, put 12 stones to remind them of crossing over the Jordan and things like that. So God was, is uh, good with landmarks so that we have places to remember. So it's important that we have a framework to work from when we're talking about uh, things such as this. Um, <clears throat> and so our thesis for tonight uh, is, as we look at all of this, is we're going to look at the events transpiring in the world and the events that are unfolding. Um, I'm sorry, the events transpiring in the world in, the, in world events are unfolding, the unfolding of God's prophetic timeline leading to the day of the Lord. So ultimately, uh, all that human history is, as Greg Axe likes to say, is one Gentile power fighting another Gentile power. And, and that's all true, leading ultimately to the day when Jesus Christ comes back and takes over. I mean, that's the day of the Lord, Revelation chapter 19. So when you have those big landmarks and you know, you know okay, these are the, these are the these are the big fence posts, you know, what's everything in between? Uh, that's, that's where you can look through your Bible and kind of put everything together around that. Now, you can get even broader than that in dealing with Satan and God, because ultimately there's a war between God and the devil. And God didn't declare it, Satan did. And so God's just going to end it for him. 
But that goes back to, you know, Ezekiel 28 and dealing with what God is, is doing in Isaiah 14 and Satan um, <clears throat> wanting the dominion of the earth that has been given to Adam, which takes us back to Genesis 3. And I thought about starting there, but for time's sake, I'm not going to get into that. But ultimately, every war boils down to that. I mean, you're boiling down to a, a galactic battle between God and the devil. But that's really, really macro. So we're going to bring it down a little bit closer to uh, Gentile history and what God is doing in the, in gen, in the Gentiles' uh, kingdom to prepare us for what God's going to do with the nation of Israel in the coming tribulation period. And so, uh, so with that, I'm going to give you a little bit of framework here. I talked about landmarks, so there's a, an example there just of the, of the stones. So we've covered that. So let's talk about the framework. So um, as we look at Bible prophecy and uh, parallel uh, current events, and we have conclusions that are drawn, you know, based on those things, you have to be careful because God's got his timetable, and we don't know when God's going to do everything that he's prophesied. But we know that these things are working toward that end. And so we have to understand some essentials, right? Uh, in addition to Satan hates God and wants to overthrow his plan for the planet and the universe, right? We get that. Um, that's being worked out uh, through humanity. He hates Adam's race. That's why we're sinful, because uh, he struck in the garden. We, uh, we fell through Adam, and now we're being restored through Christ, the last Adam. Okay, we get that on a spiritual level, which I don't want to minimize that. That's a big, that's a huge thing. But as far as other landmarks, the one thing that you, we all have to understand when it comes to geopolitical activity is that Israel is preeminent, even in, even in what's going on today. So when you see uh, all of these things going on, for instance, with the invading of Ukraine, and we're, of course, the biggest supporter of Israel is the United States, at least uh, financially and militarily, and, uh, and uh, we're, we're trying to leverage Israel to you know, side with us, and they're like, no. No thanks. We're just gonna say it. we're gonna set this one out. Well, that says something, right? What does it say? Sometimes we know. Sometimes we don't know. It says something, because what Israel does is important, uh, and so Israel is a big factor in the framework of Gentile power. So God has a redemptive plan for the nation of Israel, and uh, it's been on hold since 70 A.D. So let me ask you, what happened? Just so we can you know, kind of put that framework. What happened in 70 AD? Anybody know? Any of you D2 students? I, now, I got to put you on here, so uh, we're going to walk this around, because if they're online, they won't hear you. Yeah, so you got to... You gotta... 70 AD is when uh, General Titus sacked the... Yeah, the spore. What's that mean? That's a big word. Uh, that's the scattering of the of Israel throughout the world, and, and since that time, there's been a slow regathering. God's wanting to gather them back to their land. All right, good good job. Very good. He gets a, a does anyone have a brownie? Because he needs one. That's right. Candy bar. All right, so that's a big deal. So for, for almost 2,000 years, um, that, so the Jews have been in dispersion, uh, and they came back. When, when did they come back? 1968, that's a, yeah, I, 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 that's right, May 14th, President Truman signed that into law in Israel, he struck out Palestine, called it Israel, the biblical name, 
and they became a nation after World War II. Before that, there was the Bellflower Declaration in England in 1918, which granted uh, Israel the land. They didn't go back initially. Uh, World War I was fought. Uh, they didn't go back, so World War II came along, of course, and we know they were directly persecuted and then went back. Um, and so that, that Gentile activity of the, the nations, the world war, resulted ultimately in Israel uh, having a homeland and inhabiting the homeland. And so, and, and as Jim said, they've been uh, kind of coming back home uh, ever since then. You set a date. What did you say? Oh, 48. Okay. Well, 19, there, 19, there was a war in the 60s. I believe it was 67. And, uh, uh, and that was important as well. So I thought that's what you were referring to. So Israel, they tried to destroy Israel. And Israel uh, had an incredible uh, defensive posture and uh, won back all the land in the war. And then they turned around and gave Jordan back. You know, they were super gracious and uh, have given up a lot of what they won, fair and square. Uh, through the um, negotiations of a lot of Gentile powers, of which the United States is one of the primary ones. Um, and so uh, that's 68. That was 68. I'm pretty sure. Randy, do you? 67? It was 67. Okay, the Six-Day War in 67. So uh, in 67, they gave back, after 67, they gave back a lot of the gains that they made to keep peace. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. All the Arab nations attacked them. So Randy's saying in 1948, immediately after the signing of uh, the declaration of their nationhood, they were attacked by the Arab League, and, uh, and they beat them soundly then as well. They didn't have our help back then, I don't believe. And so that was them just taking up their own arms and, and fighting, as I recollect. And so it wasn't in 67, they did have some help. But uh, they continued on. Uh, of course, there's been a, they've been fighting back and forth ever since. So there's, why, why is that property such a big deal? Yeah, it's promised to Abraham. So... Ultimately, all the prophecy concerning, and I'll get to this in a minute, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but Jerusalem is a big deal. I'll, I'll mention that in just a minute. So let me, let me get a few scriptures in here. So when the Roman general Titus effectively cut off Israel's opportunity to fulfill the prophecy of Daniel's 70th week, which is found in Daniel 9.27, until the nation of Israel was restored in 1918 and 1948, uh, and worship is returned to the Temple Mount, which still hasn't happened, uh, that is forthcoming. Uh, we know from Romans eleven twenty five through twenty eight that God has a redemptive plan for Israel nationally. So go over to Romans eleven, and uh, let's look at this for just a minute as a reminder. Uh, Romans eleven is church doctrine, but it's also prophecy uh, in regard to what God is doing with the nation of Israel. So it helps the the church know how to deal with Israel and the promises of the Old Testament. It helps us to rightly divide the word. Uh, Romans eleven twenty five. Um, and not for the sake of the recording here, I'll go ahead and read this. Romans eleven twenty five, and look down here. Says, Paul says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. So this is one of the seven mysteries given to the church. For those of you in D2, this is one of those seven mysteries that you're studying. 
For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come forth, or come out of Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I take away their sins. And then he goes on to say in verse 28, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. Notice verse 28 there says, The Father's sakes. Now, it's interesting that the last verse in your Old Testament, uh, Malachi chapter 4, notice what it says there. And this is a different, a more doctrinal take. I ended my sermon last week talking about this but on Sunday morning, but it was a more devotional uh, context. I'll give you the doctrinal context here. Matthew chapter, or Malachi chapter 4. The last thing that is said in the last book of the Old Testament is, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I was just reading in Zechariah this morning about the two witnesses. Elijah will be one of those two witnesses. Um, and then he says in verse 6, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth, earth with a curse. So in the coming tribulation uh, period, uh, there will be two witnesses. And, and these two witnesses, which I believe to be Moses and Elijah, will actually turn the heart of Israel back to the fathers, meaning the fathers like Abraham, uh, the, the fathers of Israel. So uh, now I do believe that obviously, like I was teaching Sunday, that there is a definite uh, movement by Satan to, to destroy this, this, this generation with technology and separate the family and all those things I was talking about Sunday. That's more of a devotional application of that passage. But very specifically and doctrinally, um, this ties into what you see in verse 28 of Romans chapter 11 because um, God's going to do some things for the Father's sake, right? So he made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, right? And, these pro and also to the prophets. And he's got all these promises lined up through the Old Testament. Daniel, right? The whole book of Daniel. Jeremiah, Isaiah. I mean, they're, just, they're loaded with prophecies for Israel. And these are the Father's sakes. And so when, when these witnesses show up in the coming tribulation, it's going to prepare the nation spiritually. Physically, they're there right now, but they're not spiritually where they need to be to receive their Messiah, right? So that's why they go through great tribulation, Matthew chapter 24. So all of these events that are going on in the world with Gentile powers, um, uh, and by the way, what are Gentiles? Anybody give me a quick de definition? What is a Gentile? Right. Anyone that's not a Jew. So what do we learn in our principles of Bible study? What are the three people groups in the Bible? Oh, come on. Jews, Gentiles, and there's a third one. What is the third one? The church, right? Because we're new creatures in Christ. So you might be tempted to say, I'm a Gentile. Well, no, you're not. You're a new creature in Christ, right? So if you're, once you're born again, you're part of the church. So there's three people groups that we really recognize in the Bible, gener generally speaking, you're Jewish, you're Gentile, or you get saved and you're in the church. Of course, that's from the time of Christ forward. Uh, and so before that, it was just a Jew or Gentile. And uh, before Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, and the church was in effect in Acts chapter 2 as far as going forth and reaching the world. All right, so, so um, <clears throat> getting us back to, to this, this concept of these landmarks in Israel, Israel is a major player. So when you look at Russia and Ukraine, 
you might be scratching your head and going, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well, hopefully if you hang with me, we'll get to that as we go forward because that's important. Because we know from these passages that we've looked at that God's redemptive plan for Israel nationally is going to happen, but they have to repent in the coming tribulation to be restored because they're blind in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So after the church fails in, in our mission to get the gospel to all nations, God will call us up and commence his plan with Israel, marking the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week, uh, which I haven't even gotten into. Daniel's 70th week, as I, as I call it, uh, is based on the, the terminology in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, specifically when you get down to verse 27. And it talks about the 70 weeks are determined before, um, you know, the day of the Lord, just to summarize it. And so these 70 weeks have all been fulfilled except for the last one. There's a 70th week. So 69 of the 70 have already transpired. And so we're waiting on this last week. And this week isn't a week of days, it's a week of years. And it's a seven-year period. And that's what we call it oftentimes the tribulation period. It's divided up in halves. There's a beginning of sorrows, and there's a great tribulation. Um, it's called Jacob, a time of Jacob's trouble. So there's different ways that God describes it, but that's what we're looking forward to. So on our, our pro prophecy calendar, we know that this 70th week is coming. It's coming, and we've got the book of Revelation to help orient us on that. And so for time's sake, we're not going to get into all of that study, but you can go back and and listen online. We got the book of Revelation and all the series, the sermons for that. You can go back and put it on 3x speed and listen to it. Blah, 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 and you can get all that in within about a week. And so, uh, and so you can listen to all that. But at the end of the day, God's trying to, to, to he not trying. God will fulfill His prophecy, and uh, and He it will, and it'll all culminate in uh, in what He is going to do in the coming tribulation, as the wrath of God will be poured out on this earth and Israel will be redeemed at his second coming, just as the Lord has said. And that will fulfill what Paul is speaking of as well in Romans. Right, Their heart will be turned to the fathers in the middle of, the, of that time, those witnesses, and there will be a remnant, an elect group that God will save. Now, this is not dealing with the election like John Calvin teaches, but what it does remind you of is what we have in the New Testament as we, our salvation is secure in Christ. Now, God deals with us individually as sons, 1 John chapter 3, we are sons of God individually. We're born again. But Israel, uh, Exodus chapter 4, is a son of God. They are a son of God. And God deals with them corporately as a nation. And so God, Israel, as much sin as they've done, and they've done plenty, they're still God's son as a nation. And he's made promises to them that even they, they don't get, that nation does not get saved by merit. Even though they have a system of merit, so to speak, in the law, that's not what saves them. What's, there's a whole nation, they're saved by grace. Because God actually bookmarks all of human history to make sure that he can fulfill his plan for Israel as a nation. And he saves them in the, through much tribulation. And of course, they, are, they as a nation are redeemed by, uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ physically and spiritually, of course, by his blood. At, at the second coming of Christ, they will be restored and the millennium will be where they fulfill that role that God has always intended for them. All right, so um, I was just reading in Zechariah. It's going to be amazing. In the millennium, there'll be 10 Gentiles, 10 is the number of Gentiles. It mentions in Zechariah, 10 Gentiles will say to one Jew, you know, they want to go see uh, what's going on in Jerusalem. They, they, want to, they want to go back. They will lead the world back to Christ when he is literally ruling and reigning on this earth in the coming millennium. That day has not come, right? We're not even there yet. But God has a, a glorious plan 
for the nation of Israel that comes uh, through the 70th week, that tribulation. All right, so let me, let me pause there. Are there any, any questions about that? Are, are you all feeling kind of oriented on that discussion? Have I left anybody just like completely confused? You need some, some more definition. All right. Is anyone asleep? I don't know. Okay. Can you nod your heads? Everyone's good? No, I'm terrible. Okay. So, all right. I think you guys must be tracking with me. So the next thing we want to talk about is, is uh, as far as the framework for understanding these things is Jerusalem. So I've talked about the nation as a whole, but also tons of prophecy deal with Jerusalem. Why is Jerusalem so important? Capital city? Yeah, God put his name there. What else? Yeah. So uh, Sharon is saying it's important because prophecies to David's rule and reign, in essence, come in that city, Jerusalem, which is accurate. Yes? It's the home of the Temple Mount. Yeah, how are you going to fulfill worship prophecy if you don't have a place to do it? Anything else? Yeah, the throne, eventually Jesus will rule and reign from that location on earth. Very good. All of those things are right and they're good. Those are things that, so this city is really important. So do you think it was important? Um, and the data is escaping me. Um, 40 years, the, the date was, or was it 70 years? 70 years? Tel Aviv, the, Donald Trump recognized Jerusalem. Okay, May 14th, thank you, Ron. May 14th, 2018, Donald Trump, so that would have been, um, so that would have been 70 years from the time that Harry Truman uh, gave him the land grant. 70 years later, Donald Trump officially says, right, the capital of Israel is Jerusalem, as far as the United States is concerned, which happens to be at this time the leading Gentile power, we thought, on the planet, or we think. And so, uh, and so okay, so that's a big deal. Jerusalem's a big deal. That was a big deal. And, and Now, that kind of went on, no big deal. Nobody said a whole lot about it. But as far as prophecy con- is concerned, that is a big deal, moving the capital officially there because a lot of prophecy is going to happen. So Jerusalem of the Scripture is the historic Jerusalem of today. So it's not like the Book of Mormon. Jerusalem is Jerusalem. It's, it is the historic city. It is Salem, right? When, even in Genesis chapter 12, when we talk about the, the king of Salem, uh, or 14, right? Thank you. Uh, the king of Salem, that's referring to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and so the God of peace. So, um, and so God will bring peace there eventually. And so uh, the ancient nation and the city remain to this day, though it's called spiritual Sodom and Egypt. Look in, in uh, Revelation chapter 11 real quick. In Revelation 11, in verse 8, it speaks of of, uh, Jerusalem in not such a a very good light. Again, dealing with these witnesses that you can find in Zechariah chapter 4, uh, verses 3, 11, and 14. It says, uh, I'll just pick it up in verse 3. I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy... A thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. That's three and a half years. And these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. 
If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not, in the days of their prophecy, and like Elijah, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, like Moses, and to smite the earth with all plagues, as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, comma, where also our Lord was crucified. So that tells you specifically that it was Jerusalem, because that's where Jesus was crucified. So spiritually speaking, uh, Israel's not, or Jerusalem's not doing so well, right? Uh, so just because it, it is obviously a very important city, but spiritually, uh, there's some work that God needs to do to, to get that to happen. Now, this is the very location, uh, uh, that, I'm sorry, that along with the location of the Mount of Olives and establishing his rule on earth in Zechariah 14 and verse 4 and Revelation 16 lets us know that it is Jerusalem in which Jesus will return, among many other prophecies. So Jerusalem's a big deal. I think most of us recognize that. Um, and so when you're thinking about what's going on in Ukraine and you're looking at Russia and you're looking at Joe Biden and you're looking at all of this, there's so much information you got to sort through. One of the things that you can kind of use as a knife to cut through things is like, wait a minute, what's God doing with Israel? What's God doing with Jerusalem? Now, I'll get to that more toward the end. Um, what, but I, there's another factor here that hasn't been talked much about and it's kind of been forgotten, and that's Persia. Okay, Persia... Um, as we look at this situation, and I brought this up several years ago, um, they are hand-in-hand hand with Russia. So when you think of Russia, uh, you think of Persia, at least right now. They're allies, and they're close allies. Um, and so uh, this is a conundrum for the United States this week. And so uh, in, in this study, we understand that the ancient kingdom of Persia is indeed the contemporary country of Iran, as we've already established. So Persia has a prominent role in Bible prophecy and has since the days of Daniel, like 500 years before Christ was born. So Persia is an ancient uh, kingdom. Now, when you talk to an Iranian, they will, um, they will actually identify as being Persian to this day. Iranians, uh, they see their, their ethnicity as a Persian because... Look at that map, right? That's the that was uh, there was a time when they were, they were a major major force on the planet. Uh, and by the way, among Arabs and Muslims, they do not see themselves as equals. They see themselves as a more sophisticated. Uh, they look at uh, Middle Eastern Arabs as and Muslims as kind of like lower class. Persians see themselves as, as a much more sophisticated race. Um, and so Americans just say, you know. I won't say what Americans say. But anyway, we'll just leave it there. But uh, Persia um, and Persians uh, is, is, a, is not that large today dimensionally, right? Uh, but that's ancient. In the ancient days, this about 500 B.C., this is what they, they look like. Um, and uh, it's still known as uh, Farsistan. How many of you heard of the Farsi language, right? I think I, think I saw a Farsi Bible laying in the office. I, is that for, where do we get that? Oh, okay. Okay, the children's Bible, Farsi Bible. 
So we, we use the term, or the Farsi language uh, comes from the Persian, it's a Persian descent. And so some of the Persians are still called um, Fars, or, or it's also considered Farsistan. Got to be careful there, I say the wrong words. So a corruption of the ancient um, uh, Appalachian. Uh, so this tract was, uh, was bounded on the west by uh, Elam, which you've heard that in the Bible. And on the, uh, the north of Media, right? Media, you've heard Medio Persia, right? In the book of Daniel. And the Persian Gulf on the east um, by Carmania. So, uh, so there's these names that we no longer use oftentimes, but the, the, the Persian Empire has obviously shrunk to some degree. Uh, the empire extended at one time from the Indian uh, to India on the, on the east to Egypt and Thrace on the west which Thrace would be, uh, would be there by Greece. Okay, so uh, as you look at that map, you can imagine uh, during the time of, of the captivity, um, this was what, as, as uh, Babylon was taken over by the Medes and the Persians, uh, that map expanded. And so you see Daniel interacting with Cyrus and Darius, and these guys were controlling a lot. Now, Ahasuerus, I think Darius was the son of, of Ahasuerus. So if you read the book of Esther, uh, you see Ahasuerus who was reigning all the way over in Shushan. And, uh, and so uh, these kingdoms were enormous and their influence was, uh, was really amazingly large. Um, and of course, uh, we could go on and on about prophecies of scripture. All these things were prophesied by Daniel and the, you know, from Babylon to the, the Medes and the Persians to uh, Antioch or Alexander of Greece, uh, and then, of course, to the Roman Empire. And so, and so th- this was historically uh, kind of the apex of the Persian Empire proper. So, um, so the, the, the Persians were of the same race as the Medes and both branches uh, of, of Aryan stock. So in India... They consider themselves Japhethites, even though I question that strongly, uh, because they see themselves also uh, ascending from Persians. I think India is probably a, a mix of, of probably both Semitic peoples and um, and Japhethites, but who cares? Um, and so Persians were a people of lively and uh, impressible minds. They, they were they were smart people. They're brave. Uh, historically, obviously, in war, uh, they they've proven to be very uh, cunning, and um, and so and they've also have a great intellect. There's a reason that the West is concerned about them folks spinning nukes over there in, in Persia, because they really can use them, and so uh, these guys are not dumb, and so the the uh, the the Persian Empire today would just be modern. Uh, Iraq, uh, Iraq, Iraq. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, the religion with the, which the Persians brought there into Persia proper um, is is uh, is kind of a dualistic was a dualistic nature nature. But now today, of course, they've taken on the role of Islam, and uh, a lot of their language is close to Sanskrit, which is like what you have in in uh, India, and uh, modern Persian is a uh, degenerated uh, from what it used to be so it's kind of a combination of sanskrit and arabic so it's not as uh, pure as it once was 
So I think most of us are familiar with the history of Persia as Cyrus the Great in 558 uh, came forth and defeated uh, his enemies to, to eventually uh, take on uh, Babylon and, uh, and uh, overcome Babylon, which eventually led to Darius. And Darius, of course, was instrumental in allowing uh, Israel to be reestablish worship under Ezra and Nehemiah. And so, and you can see that in Ezra chapters 4 through 6. In 525 B.C., um, uh, he ended up allowing uh, uh, them to go back, and, uh, and Nehemiah went back, I should say. In four, actually, Nehemiah went back in 424 B.C. and rebuilt the walls. So Ezra went back first, and then Nehemiah went back after that. So um, I'm going to skip through a lot of that. i got a lot of information here I'm going to skip over. I think most of us know that. Just the main thing is, as you look at Persia, uh, Persia is still in play, and uh, they are still, uh, as, as is Greece, by the way, it's interesting how these biblical countries like Persia and Greece still have a big influence on what happens geopolitically, uh, even though they seem obscure at times. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that's, that's a little bit about Persia, so keep your eye on that. Uh, any questions about Persia? Okay. So then let's get to the one that everybody's really wanting to talk about, and that's Magog. Right, and uh, Magog appears early on in the scriptures. This is an ancient people that have occupied the pages of scripture since Genesis chapter ten. So go back to Genesis chapter ten. And as you're turning there. Amen. Genesis 10. Now, this is just a lineage, so it's not that exciting, but it says, Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah. Of course, you have the big three, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, as I was alluding to earlier. So all the people groups of the world come out of those um, uh, three boys of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, And unto them were sons born after the flood. Of course, that's the flood of Noah, Genesis 6. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, and then here comes Magog, and uh, Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshech, and Tiras. And then he goes into the sons of Gomer, and he moves on down the lineage. So that's where you see this first mention of Magog in the Bible. And then uh, in Ezekiel 38-39, there's a race uh, like Gomer uh, dwelling in the north country, and its weapon is a bow. Its warriors were all horsemen. Uh, probably the, the European Scythians, who dominated the region between the Caucasus and, Mes- and Mesopotamia for 30 years, from 630 to 600 B.C., who were famous for the bow and fought almost wholly on horseback. And they invaded Palestine and besieged uh, Ascalon under the Egyptian um, <coughs> ruler Seminicus. And they, they appear in Ezekiel, inhabiting the sides of the remote uh, recesses uh, north of Armenia and the Isles, as the Bible calls it, in maritime regions of, of Europe. And, the, and for just references, you can find that in Ezekiel 39.2, in Ezekiel 39.8, Ezekiel 39.6, and, and uh, Ezekiel 38.6, and Ezekiel 38.15. So Ezekiel 39 and Ezekiel 38 mention uh, Magog in regard to uh, 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 Gomer and... and uh, Meshach. 
So let's just look at, let's, for time, let's go back and look at that. I want to, I think that'll help us a little bit, even though it's hard to discern, uh, you know, all these, all these uh, prophecies, so to speak. But just kind of so you can see what, he, what I'm talking about. Genesis, or I mean, uh, Ezekiel 39 and verse 2. It says, Thou, thou therefore, son of man, prophesy <coughs> against Gog, which is a ruler, it's not a country. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and leave <coughs> excuse me, but a sixth part of thee, and I will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountain uh, the mountains of Israel. So there's a, a prophecy about a leader named Gog taking these from uh, uh, Magog, specifically Meshach and Tubal, and bringing them to the mountains of of uh, <coughs> of um, Israel. Uh, now Gog is a male leader, uh, Meshach, which is also uh, historically t- Turkey, uh, and Tubal, uh, and so these 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 uh, this. Influx will come, I believe, down through Turkey. Some things, it'll, some think it'll go around uh, through like Georgia and down through the south. Um, but at any rate, Meshach is the sixth son of Japheth, um, and so his son settled in Greece, Assyria, and uh, in Russia, modern-day Russia. And the legend of the Muscovites, which is now Moscow, uh, and in Georgia. Where Tbilisi is, is uh, where many believe that Tubal is. So that would be on the east side of the Black Sea. I may have a map for that here. Let me see. I do. So this is a map showing some of these ancient, uh, I don't think this will, oh, it does. Oh, good. Oh, this is exciting. And so <clears throat> uh, this is modern-day Turkey. This would be uh, Georgia up in this area. And so... Uh, as you can see listed here, Magog is this area up here. Gomer is attributed to being on this side of Europe. The thrust eventually will come down. The prophecy is that there will be a thrust all the way down to Israel from the north. And so a lot of people are wondering, when's this, this Ezekiel 38, 39 scenario, when's this all going to come to pass? Well, I don't, have the, I don't have the date for you tonight, so we're not going to solve that. Now, if you go down to verse 8, it says, Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. So um, there is a day to come where uh, there will be th- this battle. Uh, let me back up. Verse 6, I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the hand staves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. So there's this incredible battle that occurs in, in, these, in, the, in the weapons, uh, which will be coming from the north, will be burned. Now, some conflate that with um, Armageddon, but this is not Armageddon. This is a, a distinctly different battle. And so the Syrians of uh, 
Let me back up before I say that. In Ezekiel 38, in, uh, in verse 6, there's another passage here that says, Gomer and all his bands, the house of uh, Hagamar of the north quarters, and all his bands and many peoples with thee, be thou prepared and prepare thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. Uh, and he speaks, I should have backed up in verse 3, um, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring forth uh, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, and all them handling swords. And then he mentions Persia and Ethiopia and Libya with them, and all them with shields and helmet, Gomer and all his bands in the house of Tagamar. That's where I should have started there. So he talks about all of them coming down and uh, being stopped. Ultimately, God turns them back. And so um, you could. there's a lot here. Um, but modern Turkey invades Israel, Meshach, Tubal, and ancient cities of Asia, minor. There's a leader, leader like Vladimir Putin, if not him, uh, right, ruling Moscow and Tbilisi, and invades, uh, you know, plausibly, because Muscovites were descendants of Asia Minor and settled in Crimea, uh, Moscow, and Georgia, uh, but they will probably be claiming property, um, is my estimation. Now, some of this is obviously future, so we don't know in detail all that's going to happen. But the claims to these, uh, what's important, I think, for modern, for a contemporary understanding of what's going on is, is uh, the Russians, are, you know, they have a lot of history in this area. So here's media. Uh, the per Persia's over here. And to this day, uh, the, the Russians are very involved in Iraq. What's going on in Iraq? They're very involved with Persia. And they've been neighbors. Those peoples have been there forever. You'll notice, too, that um, how that, that slides over here into, um, into Turkey, which historically, you see Tubal on this map. Tubal is here, and Meshach is here. And so uh, some say that, that you know, it's Moscow, and, uh, and, it, and I do think Moscow has, does play into the historic, historic uh, names. But uh, there's people that argue that, so I'm not going to get into that because I really don't know. But the, the Russians are certainly uh, descendants of uh, that, those peoples that are listed there in the Bible. <clears throat> and so when they say we claim Georgia, well, they do. They got a historical significance there. Uh, so they may not want to own They may not uh, abide by the conventions of the post-World War II um, you know, parameters that were put on both the Middle East and the nations surrounding um, Russia, at uh, in, uh, I think that was Warsaw, and they made all those agreements and decided where all the boundaries were going to be. And of course, uh, we know that in the Cold War, it started with the Iron Wall right after World War II, right at the conclusion of that. And uh, at that time, the Soviet Union, uh, you know, said, "Look, this is we get this side of Germany," and of course, that was East Germany, West Germany became, um, you know, part of the, the NATO agreement there, and that became, you know, the dividing line. And, and, and so there's been this tension uh, with both the old Soviet Union and the modern, um, now the new federal, what is it called, the federation, what is it called today? Russia is federal, 
I should know that before I get up here and start talking. But yeah, the Russian Federation, that's it. And uh, Putin would obviously like to expand that and uh, in return to, to uh, his glory as well, the Russian state. So the Syrians in the Middle Ages applied Magog as a geographical term to uh, Turkey, Asiatic Turkey. <clears throat> so uh, that's why you see uh, this, which is an interesting thing in prophecy uh, when it comes to contemporary events, because just as recently as the Obama administration, when we were fighting ISIS uh, and, and Trump as well, uh, the Ruskies were in, uh, in Syria, northern Syria, fighting, and we've already had a hot war under Trump actually hit the Russians. I don't remember the details, but uh, he, ordered a, uh, he ordered a strike against the Russians. They had, uh, I think it was on Aleppo, they were, uh, had gone too far, so we, the Russians were in the way, and we, we hit them. And so uh, I, that didn't make huge news, but that was, to me, was really significant because that's a hot war. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, when Russians and Americans are hitting each other. Um, and so that's like, you know, Korea, when the, when, the, when, the, uh, when the Chinese came down at the Chosen Reservoir. I mean, that's a big deal. And so during that <clears throat> incursion there in Syria, Russians are all behind um, the guy who's running Syria. And, of course, the West was all, at least I say the West, America was all against uh, that. And, of course, uh, they finally got that cleaned up during the, the, uh, the uh, Trump administration, but it wasn't without a lot of friction between the United States and Russia directly at times uh, there in Syria. So Syria also has a part to play in prophecy and what's going on in, in the Middle East. And of course, so keep your eye on that. I, I could have added that up here as well. All right, so that's a lot of detailed information, but understanding these ancient kingdoms is necessary to comprehend uh, the application of relevant uh, you know, biblical prophecy to our day. So let me pause right there. Is there any, there's a lot of details here. Any questions or anything that needs to be cleaned up? Because I've just covered a lot of stuff. So um, you can see historically uh, the Japhethites, that's Noah's son. Japheth settled to the north um, as, as well as into Europe. Shem, uh, of course, is in this area. And I would say it also went out here to the west or to the east, and then you got the Hamites, which is primarily your African descents. All right, so those are three boys, and then they break down into their sons and their genealogies that you can see there in Genesis chapter 10, which compose the Gentile nations. So it's not until Genesis chapter 12 that you have uh, Abraham show up, and the nation of Israel comes forth out of Abraham's loins. It's not until, uh, of course, you have the covenant there with Abraham, and then you have his seed after him, and by the time Jacob comes along, they became, you know, transitioned from a family to a nation as they leave the, the, uh, the nation, uh, as they leave Egypt. And so, uh, as we look at the context of history, all of history is the fulfillment of God's revealed word and working together for his sovereign purposes. And so, history is his story. And so, we have to understand the relevance of all these events unfolding and in light of the future of what God's word says so that we can put all of these things in the proper context. And so what we learned in school oftentimes, at least historically, and today they don't learn these things, but when I was in school, we learned a lot about European history and Roman history. It was kind of a Western-oriented concept. You didn't learn a whole lot. Either I learned, I don't think I learned. Anybody learn anything about Persian Empire of any degree? I didn't learn anything about Persian Empire when I was in school. Uh, I mean, even the, the Ottoman Empire, for goodness sake. I mean, the Ottoman Empire was ruling this same region that I 
a lot of what you see with the Persian Empire was the Ottoman Empire right up until the turn of the end of the 1800s, right? And, uh, and so, when was it? 1917, and Saladin, they had great leaders. I mean, the Ottoman Empire was huge. I don't, I, I don't remember learning a whole lot about the Ottoman Empire. So a lot of what we, at least what I learned about, was primarily European history um, and Roman history, which is important. Learning Roman history is important because all of those kingdoms really are a residue of the Roman Empire in one way or another. So not to be, you know, the Greek and the Roman Empire, or the Greek, uh, Alexander's Empire, Roman Empire, certainly important in history. But uh, so is the Persian Empire, and so is even what the Ottomans were doing, because what, what got divided up in World War I and then World War II uh, from Great Britain is really the residue of the old Ottoman Empire. That's why, that's a good point, Ron, 1917, uh, is when that fell. Europe, or, uh, Great Britain inherited that. World War II, at the end of that, it was divided up. And uh, all the modern, <clears throat> a lot of those states became independent over time from the colonization of Great Britain as time progressed through the rest of the 20th century. And so, and that's not just in the Middle East, that's even here in this hemisphere. So, um, And so those big empires are things that we should have some understanding of. Uh, and so Daniel's prophecies in the Old Testament talk about how the Roman Empire exists until the coming um, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ or is destroyed at the coming of Jesus Christ, I should say, rather. So the old residue of the Roman Empire uh, is still in play to this day, and I'll get to that toward the end. So we know from the book of Revelation that the church of Pergamos in particular, that the Babylonian religious system that arrived in Rome via Pergamum before Christ was born found its way into prominence in uh, 365 A.D. under Constantine and has continued to this day despite Napoleon Bonaparte's desire to destroy Rome in the 1800s. Um, she came roaring back in the 1900s, backing Adolf Hitler and Mussolini. So Rome was behind uh, both of those tyrants, Mussolini and um, Adolf Hitler. Uh, and, of course, they were on the wrong side of history. They just apologized for, for that, like, I don't know, the last decade or so, they finally came out and said, oh, yeah, we shouldn't have probably backed Hitler. But, you know, whatever. Nobody's going to do anything. So um, today they are silent uh, right now on Ukraine. So uh, they're keeping tight-lipped on, on this situation. Um, and so I suspect that's because of the relationship with uh, Biden. But, uh, but at any rate, Europe and the world would have been under the iron grip of Hitler uh, and the Roman Catholic Church uh, if it would have went the way of Hitler's uh, Third Reich. And I don't think that would have been a problem for Rome. And what did they do? Well, after, after World War II is over, they switch out the popes, and they get a guy from Poland, uh, and they just, they just play the other side of the field, and uh, Pope John Paul II. And so he, you know, they just, that's how Rome works. So all the, all the world history is referenced, is, <clears throat> that I just referenced, and the world history before it is still, it all rotates around that one nation, Israel, uh, from World War I and uh, when they, uh, it was fought to give the, the Palestines a nation, the Pal or given the Palestine nation to the nation of Israel, uh, to World War II when the Jews went back, as we talked about, to the time that in 1948 when uh, uh, Tr Truman signed the, uh, uh, the agreement that gave Israel their statehood. So as many of us know, World War II closed 
with this division of Europe between the Russians and the Allies, which was led at the time by the United States of America. Right? We as a nation, this nation, came out on top. And that's where we start to segue back into what's going on today. The United States drove, uh, because we did have the bomb first, um, we drove a lot of the, of the diplomacy with, uh, with Europe at that time. Russia had a huge stake in World War II. As far as losses are concerned, they lost more men. Uh, they, were, they were just as influential, so that's why they wanted their piece of the pie as well. And, um, and if it wasn't for the advent of, uh, of our nuclear weapons, or the atomic bomb, um, you know, who knows how history would have played out. But we won. We got there first, and, uh, and things went our way. There's a, I, I've seen a documentary on history where, uh, you know, uh, Truman thought that, that uh, Stalin respected him, um, but it's, historians record that Stalin thought Truman was an idiot stick. Uh, and, uh, and so they were in Warsaw meeting, and uh, someone came over to whisper to, to, to Truman that they, we've got the bomb. And that really, that moment in history changed everything. All the cards were in the United States' hands, and of course, uh, once they they uh, went down that road, we were winning the nuclear race. But uh, Hitler was, or Hitler, uh, Stalin was working the same angle, and uh, and that really was the beginning of the Cold War was happening before World War II ever came to a conclusion. And this 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 what it really is is one Gentile power fighting for dominance over the other, and Israel was in the middle of it, uh, and and that's exactly where World War II ended. And, of course, fortunately, the United States, God favored the country who blessed Israel. What did Stalin do to the Jews? He persecuted them heavily. Yep, he persecuted the Jews, which is ironic today that the Jews are, are uh, warm on Putin, because I doubt that Putin's really warm on the Jews. But he does feign friendship with them, so good for him. But, uh, but be careful how you handle God's people. Uh, God will bless those that bless thee, and he will curse those that curse thee. And so uh, it, went God's way, it went our way as the United States, uh, not just because we're so great, we really aren't that great, but I think that we had enough biblical understanding. Guys like J. Frank Norris, uh, uh, whether you like him or hate him, was advising President Truman on the very subject of making sure that you bless Israel. And uh, And so it's interesting. I was just reading... Um, today, as a matter of fact, in my devotional reading, looking at all the just, I was just going through history, looking at, uh, you know, I was thinking of how Mordecai was with Ahasuerus. Did God bless Ahasuerus over in, uh, in the book of uh, Esther? Absolutely. And guess who was with Darius? Daniel. Daniel was with Darius. Did God bless Darius? Yes, he did. Right? And you go through history and you see that. And, uh, and so God blesses those that bless Israel. Those, those key people in the government. And, and so God blessed uh, them. God blessed Jay Frank because he had Otis Ensminger, who was a born-again Christian, but he was of Jewish descent and advocated for the Jewish people as well. And so evangelicals were wise enough to follow that lead. So <clears throat> Winston Churchill uh, came here to the Missouri, of all places, in uh, 1948. And he went to Fulton, Missouri, to Westminster College over here. And he gave the framework for the Cold War and the nuclear arms race. That all started, I don't know how many of you know that, it all started right here in our state, just down the highway, down I-70 in Fulton, Missouri. And he delivers this speech, and he comes up with this phrase, Iron Curtain. How many of you heard of the Iron Curtain? Of course, I think all of us, if you're 
if you were born uh, anywhere before 1980, you definitely heard of it. Uh, the Iron Curtain, right? That was that was spoken here and then became famous across the world and described really that tension uh, that lasted from 1948 to 1980 when President Reagan was credited with bringing Russia to its knees. So Russia was known for uh, its strong and brutal leaders over over their communist socialist empire was transformed overnight by a, a Western-friendly, kind gentleman named uh, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. And many of you don't know who this is, but I tell you what, before this guy, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, Russia in the Bible is like in, uh, well, even not in the Bible, but even in, in, in contemporary history, is likened to what animal? A bear, right? This bear. Well, this bear, they had, they had leaders that were like the bear. Joseph Stalin, I mean, you talk about cruel, the personification of cruel. I mean, this guy was just ruthless. Um, and then you had uh, um, a guy named Khrushchev, who was also noted for being just cruel. And then, like when I was a kid, there was a, uh, I can actually remember watching on television uh, um, Brezhnev, Leonardo Brezhnev, and uh, I was I was talking the other day in a staff meeting. This guy had a unibrow, man. I mean, it was like it was like it was like shag carpet on his forehead, and he would get on television, and you know he was always this really imposing figure. And these dudes were strong, uh, strong. At least their perception was that they were strong leaders, and you know they're always taking their missiles up and down. The, in front of, uh, uh, in Moscow, they'd always have these parades and they'd always be showing off all their missiles and all their rockets and all this nuclear capability and all of those things. And it was quite the show. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes, um, you know, comes this guy, Mikhail Gorbachev. And he's got this big tattoo on his head. It's not a tattoo. He has a big birthmark on his head and he's all Western friendly and he's kind and he's hanging out with our president and, you know, they're playing golf and hanging out together. And then all of a sudden, all the tension that had been there for all of those years just was like, oh, it's all gone. Russia's over. The Cold War's over. And it seemed like, oh, it's all gone. There's nothing to concern ourselves with. And, uh, <clears throat> and so it's from that, from, to, from, that to, from that time till now, uh, when this guy Putin, uh, who, by the way, was disillusioned with the fall of the, of the, of the uh, Soviet empire, uh, this KGB operative, um, comes along with his sidekick, Dmitry Medved, and he locked down control of the Russian Federation uh, for, for now 22 years. I mean, he's been in charge for a long time. And so he would play this game there for a while where he was the president, and then Medved was the president, and then he was the president. I mean, I'm like, okay, whatever. Everybody knows that Putin is running the show, and he is. He is uh, he's as strong as any of those other guys under the former Soviet Union. And so while we don't know <clears throat> if Putin is Gog, that definitely leads us to who's running Magog. And, uh, and that is that region that we, of course, talked about to the north that certainly is Russia. Uh, there is nobody right now that controls this area of the world and influences, uh, and this is, by the way, Turkey right now is in a conundrum because they're a NATO partner and they're a Russian partner. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, uh, they, they are very close with Russia, and they're very close. Well, I don't know if they're close. They sure like to take the West's money. And so, um, oops. And so let me go back there. So this region of the world, of course, Georgia's an ally of, of the West, of the United States up here that borders 
uh, Russia. <clears throat> and of course, right now, this is Crimea and Ukraine. And uh, up here, you got Belarus, which is a Russian, now becoming a Russian satellite, just like the old Soviet Union. They've tried to have freedom. They've tried to have reforms. They've killed their political and persecuted the political adversaries that would bring. This is in the last few years, if you've been paying attention to the news. Uh, they've, had, they've had good people in Belarus try to bring reform. It goes nowhere. They persecute them. They take them out of office. They kill them, whatever they got to do. So Belarus is firmly under the hand of, under the hand of, uh, of Putin right now. And that's where the, the only country that's a breakaway, really, is Ukraine, or they've been trying to be a breakaway. And so um, now what you don't know and what's not in the news and so if you, let me just say this, this is a kind of a news flash based on my sources. Um, Putin would very much, I believe he would expand beyond Ukraine. So for those that think this is just, well, Putin is just wanting to back his folks that are, his Russian speaking folks that are on the edges of, of uh, Ukraine, you're kidding yourself. He is already right now, the propaganda arm of Russia is already working toward Romania. And, uh, and I've got, I got articles and stuff I could send to you if you're interested in all that. I don't want to say too much about it. But uh, uh, he, as of this last week, has, has said that Zelensky is in Romania. He's hiding in Bershav, Romania. That's absolutely fabricated. It's not true. Why would he even say that? Why would that even be put out? Well, because he's got, he's got designs on going past Ukraine and stretching his, his battles even further. If someone doesn't stand up and stop him. And so... And so uh, he loves this property. He'd love to take over uh, everything around the Black Sea because all the oil going to Europe is going to come through there. And so that's been an issue since the first Gulf War. The oil in the first Gulf War in Iraq was not about America. It was about Europe. The, the, I think all of the, the oil in Iraq that gets pumped goes to Europe. And so uh, the, the fuel is a big deal. And so... Um, <clears throat> so these things all play into uh, the power struggle that's going on. So definitely, uh, if he is not Gog, he's certainly setting it up good for the guy who is going to be Gog. And so uh, he's developed the power, the personality, and the office, and, and time will reveal the person. But we certainly see a process and a seat of power that can certainly be used to influence the world. So one of the things I would say tonight as a, as a pastor, I, I'm not a... I'm not a I don't work for any intelligence agencies. I don't have any great, I don't have a degree in history. I don't, I'm just a guy who watches stuff and knows I know something about the Bible. What I would recommend that people not do is minimize what's going on in Europe right now. What's going on in Europe is certainly, and has been, if you go back to 2014, if you go back to what was just happening in Syria, um, if you put it in the biblical context, what's going on with the, the rise of Putin and Russia, <clears throat> along with China, is serious, serious ge geopolitical activity that has to do with the, the rearranging of Gentile power. And so what I would, how, what's that, because I'm going to run out of time before I get done, I'll pick this up next week. So let me just boil some things down for you to kind of leave you something to think about as we, we'll come back and get a little bit more detail next week. But what that means to us as, as Americans that are Christians is that, is that certainly the power structures of the... It's very possible that the Gentile power structures could shift dramatically before the, before the rapture of the church, before the catching away of the church. And, uh, and, the, and the, I mean, when you think about the, the advent of America's uh, power, 
we haven't been that the power of the world until 1948, really, whenever World War II rolled around. Before that, we were just another Gentile power, you know, with a couple oceans on each side of us, keeping the Brits off. I mean, uh, if you really know the history of the United States, we're fortunate that we're, we're you know, we didn't get ran over by the Brits in the War of, uh, of uh, 1812. You know, that was God's providence and the tenacity of the American people. And, uh, you know, of course, we fought those Brits off. Um, but the world's changed since 1812. This world has changed since uh, World War I and World War II. And, and now, with the, the strategic capabilities of China, they just proved a few months ago that they can send missiles under our radar systems and hit us, hypothetically, unless we have technology I don't know about. Maybe we do. Uh, but it's, it's a big deal. I mean, uh, the capabilities, all the technology that's been stolen from us and then reapplied in China is a big deal. It's, it's, we're, it seems that we're pretty weak right now. Um, and so, don't get me wrong. America's got more money for now and more military power than anyone in the world, no doubt about it. But if you don't think these guys wouldn't like to even the score a little bit, uh, you're kidding yourself. And so what's going on um, with this a little regional conflict remains to be seen if, if, uh, if uh, Putin's just going to want to stop at Ukraine and be satisfied. I think a lot of that is yet to be seen. It probably, there's some history that needs to be played out. There's also some prayers that need to be offered and, and some revival that needs to happen in the hearts of people to realize that uh, when it comes to war and peace, there is a spiritual war going on. And ultimately, it's going to end up in Jerusalem going to end up in Israel. And there's some prophecy that's going to be fulfilled with Magog, and which is, which is the peoples of the north coming down into, and I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I'll have a, the battle map and all that stuff. Um, but <clears throat> there is going to be some, some activity that results around Israel and Jerusalem in days ahead, and it will involve the very players that are in the news every day. The people that aren't listed that we, it's hard to see is who? Us. And we all scratch our heads and go, what happened to the USA? I don't know. But I just say that, beloved, because um, Gentile power does not necessarily rest in the, in the hands of the United States forever. And so we don't know how it's going to play out. So you should take, let me close on this. Turn in your Bibles to, uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to leave a little time for Q&A here because I'm sure there's, there should be some questions. And I don't want to be a negative Nancy here, but I just want to be realistic as well. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at what Paul says here. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he gets into uh, Jesus Christ, who is God, being our mediator. One, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ, Jesus. And so I would encourage us all to be in prayer, in, in serious prayer, uh, whether you like Joe Biden or don't like Joe Biden, you, we all need to be praying for Joe Biden. 
Whether you like his cabinet or you don't like his cabinet, you need to be praying for his cabinet members. Uh, we need to be praying for the powers that be. Whether It doesn't matter. If God can use... I mean, honestly, I'm not enamored with any of the leaders in public office at that level most of the time. But you know what? We need to be praying for them. Uh, because I tell you what, guys, it is, it is what makes America great is you. It is the people. It is the pillar and ground of the truth. I'm not just meaning the people in general. I mean the Christians. I mean the, the Christians that believe this book, the salt and the light. And I tell you what, it was, it, was, it, made, it was hard for Jeremiah to watch what was going on with Israel uh, when God was going to take them into captivity. But, and I'm not saying God's going to do that with America. I don't know what God's going to do, but I certainly know this. Uh, as, as Bible believers, we need to be all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and getting it where it needs to go on time while we have opportunity. Uh, and, and because we never know when the door's going to close. And we need to seize the opportunity while we have it. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, we're not guaranteed a decade, we're not guaranteed 20 more years or 50 more years. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. So we need to be serious about getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. We need to be serious about praying for kings and all that are in authority that we may, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Because we've been blessed here in this country for many, 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 many decades and, uh, and now a couple centuries to be able to, to live like that because God has blessed the USA. He literally has blessed this country. And we've made good decisions with Israel. So that's one of the things you can pray is like, oh God, don't let our president or presidents, whoever the next guy is, throw Israel under the bus. Hey, we know Israel's going to be corrupt. We know it's spiritual Sodom and Egypt, but it's still good to bless Israel, right? Uh, you can still bless them and keep a hold of your wallet, right? So just, I mean, you just got to be wise in all those things and pray that God gives the leaders wisdom and that they understand, whether they understand it or not, that they, they bless the right people and they curse the right people. And so uh, the good news is to be at odds with, with Putin is not a bad place to be. Uh, I don't think that's a bad place to be uh, geopolitically. Um, but what you do with Persia and, and enemies of Israel is a whole other issue. And as recently as the 3rd of March, Putin was working to, to empower, um, or not Putin, well, Putin, uh, Biden is working with Putin and China to reaffirm the, the old agreement that, that uh, Obama had, uh, which is appeasing, in essence, Persia, giving them a bunch of money so they don't spend nukes. And the uranium that they do spend goes to Russia. Why do you want Russia with more enriched uranium? I mean, none of it makes any sense. It's senseless. And so there are some other issues going on other than what's going on in Crimea and Ukraine that, that people that are praying need to keep an eye on. I'm praying that God shuts that whole thing down because the last thing Israel needs is a, is a, is a Persia that uh, is, is partnering with China and Russia in the Middle East. Now, that would be a bad thing. That would lead to a Gog, Magog, war that we'll look at next week because those things are on deck so maybe those things are going to come to pass anyway the bottom line is however that stuff comes to pass my prayer is that this nation as far as gentile nations go uh, would stay on the right side of history if they can and if they will uh, and that beloved uh, could depend on our willingness to pray and be serious about praying for our nation and for our people and for the impact of how these decisions play out. When Harry Truman made the decision to side with Israel, 
and made the decision to, to, to call them Israel and not Palestine and do all of those things, that was a good move. Now, there's a lot of historians that say it wasn't a good move because it caused all of this tension and drama, et cetera, et cetera. It was a good move. When President Trump, and this isn't a political statement, I don't care what you think about President Trump, when he made a decision to say the capital of Israel is Jerusalem, he made a good decision. And just keep praying that the leaders, whether they're Democrat or Republicans, are irrelevant, continue to make good decisions in regard to how they treat the nation of Israel. That will have an effect on how God blesses or doesn't bless this Gentile nation. Now remember, there's three people groups. What are they? The Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. So no matter how it goes with any Gentile nation, including this one, your first priority is to who your identity in Christ. Right? And that's another thing that you got to keep in mind. You're a Christian first. Right? A lot of people say America is a Christian nation. Well, we obviously have a lot of awesome influence from Christians in this nation from the first day till now, praise God. But at the end of the day, uh, no. What makes it, the only thing that makes this nation Christian is the Christians that are in it. And, uh, and so make sure that we are doing our part. We're being salt and light. All right, that's about as much. I got a little bit of time here to kind of field some questions and do some QA. Next time I come back, I want to get, next week I'll get a little bit more into the Gog and Magog and the war in Israel and where all this stuff's headed. So are there any questions tonight? Is there anything that needs to be clarified, simplified, explained? I don't believe I've done that good a job, so I'm a little concerned. Yeah, Randy. <laughs> Let me get you on here so they can get you on the line. Yeah. But I just think that you said, at the beginning, you said that Persia was equated, was Iran. Yes. And later on, you said Persia was Iraq. Then I said that wrong. Persia is Iran. Yeah, Clarify. for clarification. Yeah, Persia. If I, I, I don't. I'm sure I did say that. So I, if I, when I said Iraq, it should be Iran. However, Russia has a lot of influence in Iraq, and I did say that because I. I by the way, Persians hate Iraqis, and Iraqis hate Persians, and so, for some of you that were a little older, you may remember the war between Saddam Hussein and Iran. So there's a whole history I could get into here. The Shah of Iran got deposed. They took a bunch of Americans hostage, and, uh, and there was a war going on, a brutal, brutal war between Iran and Iraq. Um, and uh, as it ended up, we get, who, did, who do you think America supported? We supported Saddam Hussein. We're the guy that put that guy where he was at and uh, gave him lots of power, lots of money, and lots of weapons. And that rascal uh, did a number on the Iranians. Uh, and so uh, he was a brutal dictator. But uh, he worked well while he was useful. But when he went too far and uh, wanted to change the monetary system and wanted to go down to Kuwait, uh, America was like, no, 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 you're not doing that. What is the monetary system? What's the dollar based on today? Anybody know? Well, promise, Federal Reserve, absolutely. But it, the, the, the financial system is based on oil. So when they went away from the gold standard, the Federal Reserve went away from that, and they went to oil. Oil, that's why, the, that's why America is so vested in, in oil. Because it uh, used to be, back in the good old days, oil came from whales, kerosene. I mean, it wasn't like there was like oil pumping out of the ground. That's a kind of a newer thing that came in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So with Henry Ford and all those guys, once they decided we're going to go this way, 
It's sort of like what they did with power, right? Tesla had the, the wireless power system going a long time ago, but we decided to go with, uh, what is it, uh, ACDC like we have today, you know, so that's the way it went. So they, to, to get things going, they made a decision. So same thing happened with the automobile industry. They said, oh, we're going to power this uh, with gasoline, and that comes from oil, and eventually they went with the, the, a lot of the, the value of our dollars based on the oil prices. And so the, the currency is tied very heavily to oil. And so this whole war, if you look at it from that perspective, is interesting because uh, the United Nations and uh, Joe Biden and the, and the green people in the United States are very interested in, in moving us away from oil to a Green New Deal, right, or sustainable development. I'm giving you some stuff for next week. That's, that's where I end. But there's a bigger picture going on here as far as energy is concerned. Energy is a big part of this because, you know, how energy goes is where the power goes. And so we'll see uh, where all that ends up. But energy is a big deal. Yeah, Ron? <clears throat> Yeah, Ron is saying that it is not reported heavily that the dollar is based upon oil. Um, I, that could be true. I don't know. But it is, it is accurate that it is based largely on oil. We don't, I mean, we have gold reserves. We have other things. It is based on a promise, too. Grace says it's based on, and that is true. Our economy, the American economy, is, is in large part what the dollar is based on. So there's different things. But oil is a big, that has been historically a big factor. So if, if we go away from oil, there'll have to be other, other uh, means to sustain it. Uh, and so even crypto, I think, is, I don't know where that's going to end up. That, that is an interesting development as well. So uh, currency issues, that's, that's going to loom large in the future. Um, I don't have any great wisdom on any of that either. I just know eventually the Antichrist is going to control all of it. So uh, that's where it's all headed someday. But um, <clears throat> anyway, so some things to meditate on. Next week when we come back, We'll get into some of these things I just was talking about and, and some of the other factors and how all that, hopefully we can see some, some nuances maybe of what uh, is going to be coming uh, in the days ahead. So um, I got literally through half of what I wanted to get through today, so that gives me the other half for next week. If you have any questions, though, maybe between now and next week, don't hesitate if you're online. Did it, nobody commented online? Okay. Um, well, if they did. Oh, we got shut down. Oh, yeah, that does make sense. Couldn't talk about these things during these times. So <laughs> I forgot about that. So I, I had the impression we were in a free country, so forgive me. <laughs> so um, that's all right. So I guess our online feed got shut down. So do you got this recorded? Okay, so we can put it up later and get it out to who needs to get it. So if you have any questions or what have you, uh, feel free to shoot them to me uh, with all the different things I'm shooting at you. Uh, to distill it down, just kind of get those key players, those key nations, and understand Israel and Jerusalem are at the key of all geopolitical activity. You don't always see how they correlate, but keep digging, keep researching, keep praying, and God will give you insights into how all of that comes together as you go. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed.